That light of God exposes our sin. And this is the same God who has so loved us, and he takes us into his family as his own children. And so this chapter begins with, Behold, it is a wonderful surprise. And that's the good news of the gospel. Now, the second surprise of these opening verses is that while we do not know all the future blessings that are in store for us, we do know that we're going to be changed into his likeness. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher, and today we come to 1 John chapter 3 on who is the one who gives us the new birth. Think of this great text, 1 John 3, 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Now, I do note that this is God's idea. It is God's eternal plan, and it is the most marvelous display of God's wondrous, infinite love to his people, that he should choose us. God is the doer of this. It's not man's plan. It is God who planned the way of salvation. It is God who invites us to enjoy eternal life. And at the close of the program, we'll be having a little message on calling all Canadians back to the Bible because men claim that God cannot see. God is not aware. He's not even in the earth. He's not even looking. He's not even considering anything. And therefore, Canadians go on and on sinning against God thinking that God neither sees nor cares. What a lie. And we'll be exposing that lie at the close of the program. Stay tuned now as we turn to the pulpit ministry to let the Bible speak. Well, I think I could ask you what the theme of this book of 1 John is. And I think a number of you could tell me. You could take me right to the chapter and to the verse and perhaps even to the very word that is the theme of the book, that ye may have the joy of the Lord in you. That's First John chapter 1 and verse 3. These things write I unto you, that your joy might be full, and that our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son. Now, the outline that I've given on this book is chapter 1. It is how. How does this happen? 2. What happens? Chapter 3. Who makes it happen? By whom? And we come here to this opening verse. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. And then we move to chapter 4. Who cares? Well, John cares. 
The false prophets, they don't care. The worldly person doesn't care. But the person who's born of God does care. And then chapter 5 is the chapter of whosoever believeth. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so this book is about entering into a marvelous fellowship with God. Now here in this third chapter, it's about assurance, the assurance of sins forgiven. And it starts with this amazing love of God to sinners, giving the full status of children of God. And so assurance is really the theme of this chapter. And as you read down, you will see there in verse 19, for example, and shall assure our hearts. So there's the very word, assure. And then in verse 21, then have we confidence toward God. Now, I have a couple of questions for you tonight. Are you sure? Are you sure that you're a Christian? Are you sure that you have this partnership with God and that your soul is united to Him by grace, by the Spirit? Can you say tonight, we have this confidence toward God? Now, it's possible that you are a very confident person. I'm looking at some of the boys and girls here tonight as well. Maybe in school, you're very confident when it comes to doing math or writing or drawing. And you might say, I have no problem taking on these tasks. And I'm able to dig into them and do them with all my gifts and talents. But there are many people that are very gifted, very talented, very successful in this world, but their souls are not saved. They are lost sinners on the broad road to destruction. And so our confidence is not in men or in ourselves. But you'll see here in 1 John 4, 21, that we have confidence toward God. Now, that's what I want to speak to you about tonight. Having this assurance of your peace with God that you have real and eternal fellowship with Him. Now, all preachers like to have points or headings, and maybe you take notes. Maybe you like to write down some things that the preacher says, and it might help you to get this first one, that assurance is ours when we are moved to be like God. We can have assurance when in our hearts there is a desire that we want to be like God. Now, here in this chapter 3, 1, there are two big surprises for us. The big surprise is that God has such an amazing love for our souls. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Now, it's a big surprise because in the previous verse, chapter 2.29, the last verse of chapter 2, God is described as being righteous. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And so God is strict. He's holy. He is unchangeable. He will not change his character. He will not reduce his law. 
He is a terrible God, terrible toward the wicked. And yet the same God, behold what manner of love that he hath bestowed upon us. And the surprise is that the God who is so awesomely holy is also awesomely merciful and full of love towards those whom he calls to himself. Now, this is the God who lives in perfect light. Back in chapter 1, John talked about we have fellowship with God if we walk in the light as he is in the light. There's no shadow in him. There's no dark spot. There's no sin. There's no gray area. He is perfect light. And when we come into his presence, that light of God exposes our sin. And this is the same God who has so loved us and he takes us into his family as his own children. And so this chapter begins with, Behold, it is a wonderful surprise. And that's the good news of the gospel. Now, the second surprise of these opening verses is that while we do not know all the future blessings that are in store for us, we do know that we're going to be changed into his likeness. If you read verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Now, I want you to get those words. We shall be like him. We who are sinners, we who are sons of Adam, we who are wayward and rebellious, we who were strangers to God. This is the great surprise. We shall be like him. Now, this is the power of adoption. We are brought into the family of God. Now, in human adoption, there can be no guarantee that the child is going to be like the adopting parent. A mom and dad could a uh, husband and wife could go along to an orphanage, set their heart upon a boy or girl, or maybe more than one boy or girl, and bring that child home. But there is no guarantee that that child is going to grow into the likeness of mother and father. Now, they can be taught some manners, taught some discipline, taught how to live, what to say, what not to say, and there are certain things, do's and don'ts, but what if the child has Irish genes and got red hair? Well, it's impossible for that child to become like the parents that have adopted. And perhaps as that boy or girl grows up into teenage years and adulthood, the disparity grows bigger and bigger. This is not your son. This this boy or girl, this young man or woman, doesn't look anything like the adopting parents because we can give a child a new name, but we can't give a child a new But when God adopts us as his children, we're not only given a new name, but we are born of God. The nature of God is born in us, and we are conformed into his image. And that's the whole purpose of our salvation. And when a person says, I want to be saved, 
I want to be a Christian, a Christ one, you're really saying, I want to be like the Lord. I want to be changed into the wonderful image of the Lord Jesus. And that's the whole power of salvation. Now, let me ask you, do you really want to be a Christian? Do you really want to be changed into the likeness of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God? Or are you saying, no, 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 I want to be like the world. I want to be like the ungodly. I want to be free to do my own thing. Well, then you don't really want to be a Christian. You're just pretending that you want to be a Christian. You want the name, but you don't want the nature. But the gospel is all about changing us into the very nature of God. Now, in Romans 8, you have a great uh, doctrinal explanation of the power of the gospel. And in verse 29, it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. You know that verse? Romans 8, 29? It's a powerful statement. And that's the gospel. And that's what happens when you are born again, when you are brought into the family of God. Now, what does this do to us? Look at verse 3 in 1 John 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. In every child that is born of God and given this hope of glory, there is a burning zeal to be holy, personally holy. And that's a given. That ought to be automatic. Once you are born again, once you are indwelt by the Spirit, once you have the new nature in you, there's going to be within you a yearning. I want to be conformed more and more to the likeness of the Lord Jesus. Now, this is the whole argument of John as you go down this chapter 3 right through to verse 8. Would you read it with me? And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. There you are. Whosoever abideth in him. If you are united by faith to the Lord Jesus, the last thing that you will want to do is sin. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Now, let me ask you, are you repenting of all known sin? And this is the argument of the Apostle John here in this chapter 3. This is the one who continually commits sin. He's not born of God. You're a child of the devil. John is very black and white. John is the apostle of love, but he's very, very clear. You're either a, belong to, uh, you're a child of Satan, or you are born again a child of God. And you can know the difference. Verse 9 tells us of the power of the new nature in every Christian. 
Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. There is a holy seed planted in his or her heart. There is an earnest striving after purity and obedience to the will of God. Now, that doesn't mean we're perfect in this world. And this word that John is giving here does not teach us that a Christian will become sinless in this world. But you will not willfully, deliberately want to sin. Sin may catch up with you. You may be tempted and caught by surprise. You might say, what was I thinking? I was a fool. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have done that. You are hating the very sin that has defiled you. And that verse 9 tells us that it's because of this new nature in your heart. Now, really what John is saying here is no different from what the Lord Jesus taught when he said, by their fruits ye shall know them. And he talked about the, the, the evil tree and the good tree, and ye know it by its nature, the fruit that is brought forth. And so when some says, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I'm a child of God, but he brings forth the fruit of sin. That's not the new nature. That's not the fruit that the Lord gives. That is the way of the world. Now we move on. We're going down to verse 11, uh, right through to 16, and you'll see that assurance is ours. First of all, we saw when we're moved to be like God. That was the first thing. When we're moved to be like God, then we know that we're born of God. The second thing that John says in this chapter is that we know that assurance is ours when we're moved to love the brethren. Verse 11 to 16. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. Now, you just can't study, read, or even go to 1 John and not notice the great emphasis that is upon loving our brothers or sisters in the Lord. When John was an old man, he was carried into the meetings, and he was famous for saying, little children love one another. And he kept saying it over and over and over. And when he was asked, John, why do you keep saying this? And he said, because it is the command of the Lord. And when that is done, all is done. That's when we are serving the Lord and serving his church. And this was indeed the Lord's command, as John recorded in his gospel. John 13, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And really, in 1 John 3, 11, uh, John is restating this. This is the message that we have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Now, the Lord demonstrated this in a very powerful way, because when he was gathered with his disciples, he took a towel and a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, in Israel, when people walked the dusty roads in sandals, feet got very messy. They sweated, 
the clay and dust stuck to their feet. And when they would walk in through the door of where they were visiting, they really felt uncomfortable that way. And so it was quite common for a host to offer a way of washing the visitor's feet, supplying the water, supplying a towel. But in this case, the Lord got down and he washed his own disciples' feet. And in that was a tremendous display of love and service to the people of God. Now, the Lord did not institute that in church fellowship we should wash one another's feet. And through the history of the Christian church, that was never taken that way. Now, there are some extreme groups, and they do take it that way, and they literally practice. When you come along to a church meeting, you get your feet washed. Now, it's very different today when you step out of a modern car and you walk up a paved driveway and you've got nice shoes and socks. Your feet are no no way the same as in the days of the disciples. But when the Lord washed those disciples' feet, it was a display of love and service. And he gave that example that we should love one another. We know that we have passed from death. Let's go to verse 14, chapter 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, if you're out to wound, offend your brother, drive him away, you're doing the devil's work. If you serve, encourage, build up, and seek to assist your brother, then you are like the Lord Jesus in You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Ian Golliher once more calling all Canadians back to the Bible. We lament the sins of Canada. From coast to coast and north to south, this country has lost its moral compass. We are told that there is no longer any right or wrong. We are being told that everyone is free to say, do and live as they please. They even say that this is enshrined in the Bill of Human Rights. What a lie this is. It is a double standard. Our young people grow up being told this lie, that there is no right and wrong. They then get into trouble, and they find that in Canada there is a criminal code, there is a court system, and there are jails for offenders. Sadly, Many deluded young men and women end up spending the best years of their lives behind bars and come out with criminal records that no employer would even begin to consider them for employment. These young offenders are left on the fringe of society. They are a prey to alcohol addiction, drug addiction, and crime. It's all they have ahead of them. They have gone from healthy, hopeful young lives to misery and early death, all because they were told in youth there is no right and wrong. At the root of this lie is the greater lie that God doesn't care about sin, for he is not there to see, 
nor will he visit men for their sins. Read Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 9, and you'll soon learn that Israel went headlong into grievous sin, shutting God out of their lives. The people said that God was not there to see their abominations. And Ezekiel 9, 9 says, Then said he unto them, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, The Lord hath forsaken the earth, and the Lord seeth not. Dear friend, you need to waken up to the fact that God is there and everywhere, and God does see your sins. This word from God is a warning to awaken out of our stupor that is bringing greater and greater condemnation upon your soul. A long-term prisoner after his release from jail was asked, what was the worst part of life in jail? He said, knowing that the guard was always watching him through the peephole in the door. God sees sin. God hates sin. God will never tolerate sin. God will always judge sin. Indeed, the Bible is clear that God always judges sin. Another way of saying this is that sin has consequences, sure and certain consequences. Think of what happened to Judah and Israel. God raised up a heathen army to besiege the city of Jerusalem, then to break up the city in great bloodshed, then to carry away the people, men, women, and children into Babylonian captivity. Many of them lived and died in that captivity. This notion that God will never judge a people's sins because he is a God of love is wrong. It is deceptive, and it puts societies like Canada to sleep in their sins. Waken up, I say, to hear the truth. The Bible says, Job 36, 18, Because there is wrath, beware lest he take thee away with his stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. The gospel answer is that while God will always judge sin, he will judge sin either in the person of the guilty sinner or the person of his son, the substitute for sinners who bears our sins for us when we believe the message of the gospel. This is the hope for all Canadians, even those whose lives have been wrecked by sin. Jesus is the Savior that men need. Jesus is the substitute and Savior of all who call upon him. On the cross, he bore our sins for us. On the cross, he finished the work of salvation so that guilty sinners can be saved in full and eternally. Do you believe this gospel? Will you go to Christ today to save you from your sins? There is the good news for your soul. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to 
ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.